This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for June 16th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our podcasts on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on the RSS platform or application of your choice. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, and I'm joined as always by Case Lowe. Case, how's it going, bud? Oh, Mike, what a loaded question in these times. I... I'm doing fine. You know, I, I uh, did a little nightly gardening. We started the show a little bit later than normal because I was too busy watering the plants in my backyard, lost track of time. Uh, I had to message Mike and say, I'll be a little bit later than expected. So again, I apologize for that. That's a very calming activity, though, which is, you know, not the state of Dragon Gate. Things are, are in turmoil. We don't exactly know what's coming next. But Mike, you asked me how I am doing it, Lee. I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Mike? You know, I'm getting through day by day. Uh, I, I like to hear that you're doing some planting, doing some gardening, because it is something that you would think that I would be able to do at the illustrious compound in the mountains. But I've not been able to do any growing or, th- or anything like that lately. I've been dealing with like just standard like growing old and dealing with shit you would never think that you'd be dealing with when you're a kid, such as air conditioner like dealing with air conditioning people like that's been my that that's what's been on my plate as of late i know like saying like air conditioner like that's something that is might seem like oh hoity-toity or like this but like for where i am and where i live like you kind of need to have air conditioning or you just in the summer you're just covered by a hot wet blanket all the time so having to deal with like air conditioning people who i think are like some of the biggest con people and like this it's such a rip so I've just been frustrated with that, and it's just been a never-ending cycle for me. I don't think, and maybe and if I need to check my privilege at the door, let me know. We are in an, an era where it's important to acknowledge and recognize our privileges, but I don't look at having an air conditioning as an elitist thing, Mike. I think you're okay saying publicly that you're having issues with your air conditioner and you don't you don't want to deal with it because it sounds annoying, <laughs> but you're in the smoldering heat of South Carolina. It's okay that you have an air conditioner. That is all right with me. Well, Again, if, if I'm off base, have AB Aaron Bentley. He can slide into my DMs and, and educate me on my privilege, but I really think you're in the right here, Mike. It's just one of those things that it's like, all right, so here is Mike Spears's big air conditioning thing that this is like super frustrating. So... I moved out of an apartment into my own place two years ago, and I moved into the place, do with all the adult bullshit, and it's a, it's a pain in the neck. Anyone who has, you know, 
owned owned a place like knows like and you're buying for someone it's a pain in your ass and one of the things you're supposed to do is inspections okay so you make sure everything's on the level something's fixed you go say hey i'm not going to deal with this you need to fix this or i'm walking away it, it, it's the negotiating thing uh the person who owned this before i did uh used one of their friends as the inspector and did not tell us that they did not tell me that the air conditioner was going to break within two weeks of me moving in in 2018 everything broke to shit i thought so i was like oh well fuck I got to deal with this. Got it all replaced. The first air conditioning people completely were running a scam on me. The second ones, I'm like, all right, let's get this handled. They seem to be on the up and up. Spent two months in some of the hottest summers in South Carolina at the time. They come in. I pay and get, like, it all taken up. Like, it's, like, crazy what air conditioning technology is or what its price is. And then two years later, it all breaks down on me again. And I'm like, okay. Y'all were running another scam on me. Time for place number three. And they come in and said, like, oh, this thing, did they not replace these when they put in your new thing? I was like, I thought they did. I was like, no, these are the original ones that are at least 15 years old. The, the, we would have tossed this in for it for free if you were putting the new system. And I'm like, you motherfuckers. So, Mike, these are, these are good things to know. As of earlier this week, I signed a lease to my first apartment ever. Um, yes, uh, it's uh, nothing like moving back to Chicago in a very happening area where nothing is happening. It is <laughs> awesome timing. Um, but this is, this is good to know. I loathe the homeowners association. I can't believe people, uh, care about what their neighbors are doing. I'm sorry about your air conditioner. I'm sorry it didn't get fixed right the first or second time. <laughs> I hope, I hope that this podcast can cool you off in a sense that you can get all of your piping hot takes out into the open and maybe your internal system can cool off as a result <laughs> well you know i have my own theory on hoa so we could say it for a different show i believe we should all tear them down from the inside as i'm playing all right do. it's not that show save it for your patreon <laughs> so when we talk about how things are height and hot and popping dragon gate has really started to kind of gear up after King of Gate, we are looking in towards their summer schedule has started up. We've had two matches over last week, and we previewed on last week's episode. We had four more matches come up ahead, and we decided to not just focus on what's happening in Dragon Gate Japan this episode. No, no, no. Because two of the wrestlers that are currently on excursion, Shun Skywalker and Yushioki Oka, had a card a couple days ago that things happened and things might be changing for them on their excursion as well. So we're going to get into that as well. So Case, we got two matches that happened in the offices of Dragon Gate Japan. A six-man match and then the All Japan Junior match. How did you feel like, I feel like there was like a distinctly different vibe from these two matches than what we saw in King of Gay. What were your overall opinions of like as they're shifting gears right now? Was the the lighting in the building was it different for these matches than it was for King of Gate? Oh, they didn't have the uh, they did not use production lights. I think it made the shows look better. Yeah, it it didn't look like you were like in this dark hall. It looked like you were no, in, like... exactly. It it they used the house lights and it like brightened up the space and it didn't it didn't look dingy. It looked you know nice. Yeah, like that was something that I noticed, and it did seem like that they were using more cameras as well. Because they, they, they usually stuck with a hard cam and one floor cam. It looked like they had one because we were getting shots on different sides that we were not getting before on these Lapis Hall shows. That's, that's a good point as well. 
Um, as for the two matches, you know, we had the sixth man on June 13th, Jason Lee, UT, and Oji Shiba against Yasuke Santa Maria, Kota Minora, and Hoho Loon. And then the All Japan Junior Heavyweight title match on the 14th, which was originally Susumu Yokosuka defending against Hakuta Omori. And then uh, on, on that night, Yasuke Santa Maria was added to the match. I, oh, you know, big picture here, overall thoughts on these two. I mean, I thought they were two fine matches. I think the high-end stuff from King of Gate was unequivocally better than these matches, but there was also stuff on King of Gate that was far worse than these. So I can't really complain. I mean, there were one match shows. I mean, it took me literally 20 minutes to watch these matches, and I didn't have to do any writing on it. So it was, you know, just a, it was like a, a Drangate snack. And I, you know, I went about my day afterwards, but it was nice. I mean, the one thing that jumped out to me, and we talked last week about possible Kobe world happenings and the direction that I think they should go, which is the nine man uh, tag match, the trios three on three on three match rep with the uh, Torium on the Drangate and the RED units being represented there. Partially because, and I'm starting to discover this after watching so many King of Gate singles matches and then the implementation of the bonus matches on those shows and then watching the June 13th six-man tag, I just think the multi-man matches work so much better in this environment than a singles match. And it's not meant as a slight to the wrestlers on the roster, but just, you know, a, a chin lock is is boring with people sometimes and a, and a chin lock in front of nobody is uncomfortable silence. But when you have these matches where guys can't stop moving and there's constantly moves and dives and there's guys running in and out of the ring, like in that six man tag match, I just think it works so much better in this environment. So, you know, the triple threat match was fine. I liked it. I really came away enjoying the six man tag on the 13th. I was like, Oh, that's, that's dragon gate. That is what I have been missing. And you know, the thing about the, the six man tag that was some of the most we've seen Oji Shiba in a long time. And I think he, of course, he had like the bad knee issues that he lost about, I think it was like close to 18 months, it, it felt like. Though him coming back, like he's he's a member of the Bolt Club. He's definitely someone who's starting to gain to gain mass. By the way, shout out to Benke for crossing 115 kilos this week. And he's very proud of that. That's 253 pounds. Benke is huge now. But huge. Just, he it's insane looking but uh seeing og was like such a kind of delight and he really seems to be like he got a lot of focus in this match ut did not seem like that he really was just going to be like focusing and they were going to just like sprinkle him in in there i mean this is pretty much like you had a match against ultimo now you're back into the full thing and then you know it was a win for maria i thought that it was kind of interesting how they did like oh ut is not falling for maria shtick I thought that was kind of interesting. And this was just like a solid fun. This felt like what would be like an undercard cork and tag match. And it was a good time. Yeah. If this opened a cork and hall show, I mean, this would be getting instead of the normal three star opener, this would be in the three and a quarter, even three and a half star range. If it opened up a show, it just, it felt weird because it was the only thing that I had to watch from this. And it was, right. You know, it was digestible, but it was like, okay, what else? Like, that's exactly it. It was an opening match, and then nothing followed it, which was strange. Uh, the finish with Maria going over, and she pinned Oji Shiba, I was surprised by that, just for the fact that I thought this match existed to get UTA win after his loss to Ultimo. And, you know, he got a lot of time. I thought he looked very good. He is 
looking healthy, which is good to see that it, it doesn't appear that he rushed back from this injury at all. He looks like he's in shape and he looks like he can still move around the ring in UT way. I was just surprised that he didn't get the win here. Yeah, you know, it didn't make sense, especially when you see what happened the next night with Maria getting into the, the title match. It made sense that Maria got the win here. But yeah, UT, you know, it looks like that, especially for something like a collarbone, which from from my knowledge of it is when you break your collarbone once, you have issues with your collarbone the rest of your life. Very similar to like your rotator cuff where it can pop in and out. It's just how those things operate. And UT looks solid. I mean, Minora, he's there. Like I didn't really have many takeaways for, for Kota Minora and like Ho-Ho Loon. I mean, the guy is sticking around there in a pandemic and he looks like he's, it, it definitely seems like he does have some of a place in Dragon Gate in some fashion. And, you know, this was just was like a fun opening six-man tag. I actually, I went three stars flat on this thing. I really like the junior, the, the, the All Japan World Junior match. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one? So when the match was announced, when it was just Omori versus Yokosuka, I thought it was clearly set up to get the belt off of Yokosuka because, you know, things are opening up. There are going to be more shows happening, but it's still a little uncertain as to who can do what and what the next step is. And I just assumed that All Japan was going to want the belt back in their possession now that they have the opportunity to run more shows. And, you know, if that sounds insane because Omori is not, you know, a credible challenger, I don't know. Again, I've been just completely disconnected from All Japan all year. But when the match was set up, I was like, oh, Omori's going to win this and take the belt back to All Japan. It'll be real simple. They added Maria to the mix, and I assumed that, oh, it's even more obvious. Omori is going to pin Maria and be done with it. But what I did not realize was it was an elimination match. And like Mike said, I mean, it's very good. We talked a few weeks ago, and I don't remember, I don't remember why we were talking about it. I don't even remember what show it was on. Maybe it was the the Rewind and Rewatch Untouchable show where we were talking about triple threat matches in Dragon Gate and how there just aren't a lot of them. Yeah. And, you know, this jumped out to me. I was like, oh, a triple threat match. This is kind of unique. And, you know, it was a lot of one-on-one guy gets hit, bounces out of the ring. Another one-on-one encounter uh, takes, takes shape. But it wasn't a bad match by any means. Similar to the opener, or I'm sorry, not the opener, but the six-man tag from the day before, it's in that three and a half star range for me. It's something that was very good, but I didn't really ever consider it to be great. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, that especially as someone who walked in, I will admit my ignorance about Hakoto, Hakuto, Amori uh, coming in here. I ended up, I thought he stuck together with them running a fast paced match, which, you know, that could be a very difficult thing for people stepping into like the dragon system to do so. I thought it was kind of funny that he was wearing the flags like how Yamato did, and he ripped them off for the match. I'm like, no, that's not how that's supposed to work. They're supposed to come off like sometime <laughs> in the middle of the match. Just randomly, for no reason, they're yeah. supposed to come off in the middle of the match. Yeah, they're supposed to just fall. But like, I, I came away with like really being kind of impressed with Amori in this thing, and I think that this kind of makes him... I, I saw that he's only a, been in the business for a year. So, I mean, like, he's still like just fresh out of the uh, being a rookie, and I feel like he equipped himself well. I did like that there was a whole bunch of Susumu just being like tired of the shit, just being too old for this. I'm like, all right, this is what we're going through. Okay, I guess this is something that we're going to do. And it just ended up being like a solid like 15 minute match. Like, and it really did, like, talking about like three ways don't really have much. 
this is a three-way that I felt like could have been like before intermission or like the singles match on the cork and show. And it, I came away with this going like, you know what? Okay. But I did definitely think that this was when they initially booked it. I was like, all right, Susumu had the belt for a while. Now it's time to move it off to someone. He won that tournament beginning at the end of last year to become junior champion. Now it's time that they're going to, want to put it back on their own. And Omori is an up-and-comer. It would have been a good time for that. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I think under normal circumstances, we would be making a much bigger deal out of Susumu being the All Japan Junior Heavyweight Champion and for a while, Mochizuki being the GHC Tag Team Champion with Naomichi Marafuji. But the Mochizuki stuff and well, the, the Susumu stuff, I think they won the belts on the same week, the first week of January. And, you know, then you had, you know, Mochizuki and Marafuji defended here and Susumu defended there. And then everything got shut down and. Mochizuki and Marafuji eventually lost those belts. Susumu hangs on to it now in what just feels like an endless reign, not because the matches haven't been good, but just because it's just weird. It's it's a weird situation, and I think, like I said, under normal circumstances, we would make a much bigger deal out of Drangate guys holding belts to not only other companies, but legitimate, respected companies in Japan. Not, you know, this isn't Tokyo Garantai. This isn't a Nozawa offshoot. This is all Japan and no one. Drangate's got guys holding belts here. But because everything has been so scattered all year, uh, it's it's been more of an afterthought, which is strange. Yeah, and it's probably why I remember when we had like that Diamante and Yoshida challenge of the GHC heavyweight titles that I was like, okay, they're getting their title match here. Like, that's a good thing for Dragon Gate that they were that they're going to get a match and thing like this. And it just kind of like happened in the arena Kobe Samba Hall show. And you're like, okay, well that happened. And they dropped the belt. I thought this makes me think that just using that, that we could be seeing the end of uh, Susumu's reign soon. And I mean, it's fine. And it's like different from like all the random titles that Kenichi Arai brings around. So, I mean, like you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, about exactly. That. That's it's exactly it. Arai's always got a title for a promotion that doesn't make tape that might not even run shows, but he is proudly the champion of whatever plastic belt he has. Uh, like Asuka Project Heat Up. Like if there was a Tokyo based indie for a while, he would be bringing their title. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's cool. You got a belt there. I've never heard of it. And <laughs> it makes tape like once a year. So good for you. Yeah, Erican. I'm not buying I'm not buying the occupation of the indies DVDs anytime soon, all right. But I'll take your word that you won this belt and then proudly defended it. Yeah, so it it's something that like originally it was supposed to be the Hikaru Sado title challenge was supposed to happen in Dragon Gate. So I and, I and I know that like, Sato was the person that Susumi Yokosuka beat in Cork and on, on January 3rd. Like, this this is like, we think this, this Hal Reign's gone forever. It's only been about a couple weeks over five months long. It's just the state of the world right now that it's like that. So it'll be interesting to see that. And hopefully, I thought Omori looked, looked solid. He equipped himself well. And if he was going to pop around with how things are in the wrestling world, if he appears in Dragon Gate, I'm not going to have any complaints with that. Mike, what's going on with our friends in Mexico? Okay, so I kind of sprung this on you. So, as listeners know, uh, Shun Skywalker and Yushiki Yoshioka are currently on an excursion in Mexico. Uh, to our knowledge and to talking to people in the company, I was told basically explicitly, count out Shun for 2020. Like, Shun's going to be in Mexico. And also, like, he's going to be there. Yuki Yoshioka... It felt like that he was going to be here for a little bit, but the ma- majority of his tenure was going to be elsewhere that he's not able to get into. But so, like, Yuki Yoshioka, I think, has had 
three or four matches, I think, in Mexico where Shun had more consistent work both to shut down, especially with how it's affecting Mexico. That's not been the case. However, IWRG out of Reina Nakapon and uh, outside of Mexico City, I believe. I think that's where Nakapon is. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But this is like the traditional partner of the Dragon System. Like Ultimo Dragon Gym was based right in Nakapon. And I don't think it was based in the arena, but I know it was based there. And this is where everyone would go. This is this was a home company for the millennials when they were there. This is like if you go search like people like Dragon Kid or Little Dragon, you'll see that he popped up there in the same for like Don Fuji, Shima, like all of them would be there. They had yeah, there's an extended crazy max round that happened at IWRG. Yeah, it's a big place. But they had a show that was that made TV that was an empty arena show that both Yoshioka and Shun Skywalker were on. And we've been meaning to try to do some coverage of this, but it's kind of fit in that this was kind of the perfect time and it was relevant to do here. So, Case, how much IWRG do you normally watch? Well, you say you sprung it on me, which, I mean, I, I was going to watch this match, the, these matches, even if we didn't talk about them on the pod. To say I watch IWRG consistently would be an outright lie, but I've always got an eye on the promotion. I, I'm i sorry, I, I apologize. A, oh, no, please, it's okay. You and your air conditioner, I get it. You're all hotty toddy. It's whatever. I'm used to it by now. Three years of doing the show with you or whatever, but I've always got an eye on IWRG. I at least know what's happening there. To But, but to say I watch IWRG is a different story, and... After watching parts of the show, I just I'm I don't think I'm sticking around <laughs> once Yoshioka and Skywalker leave. I think it will go to the oh Cubs fan posted IWRG results. Let me look to see if I recognize the names. Okay, I do. Okay, exit tab. Move on with my life. That's fair. That's fair. And there were a lot of names on these shows. So Yoshioka had a singles match against Puma del Oro and Shin Skywalker. They did this Ray del Ring thing. And it's usually like a giant battle royal but this year because of how it is they did they split into two originally it was supposed to be single elimination tournament which that would have been a lot of matches for them to have to go through but instead that this is supposed to be half of it which it might end up being the only part of it due to reasons we'll talk to you about later where shun skywalker won and the last person he eliminated was dragon bane and i have to say yuki yoshioka in mexico was not something that i was like i did not i think i've said i don't know if this is gonna be a great fit here I ended up really enjoying and had a good time with his match. Like, he was doing some crazy things, and Pumo Del Oro was taking it to him, and I ended up having a good time with this. Yeah, these the, the matches that the Dragon Gate guys were involved in were fun in, in kind of weird ways. I mean, Yoshioka, I think, works in IWRG, and I think would work if, you know, things opened up and he went to the crash or he went to DTU. Like, I think he could find comfort maybe not a home but i think you could find comfort in some of these lucha promotions i am still haunted at the idea of what could have been of yoshioka maybe rolling into mlw this year and grappling with tom lawler i had a ton of interest in stuff like that but it just doesn't look like that is feasible now so the yoshioka match i mean he's he's grown out his hair it his hair like is wild. He needs a haircut maybe, maybe he had some facial hair going on i don't entirely remember but he looked he looked older. There was some gruff and some grit to Yoshioka that was not there in Japan. And then, you know, he had a match with, with Puma Deora, who is very young, but was very entertaining. And this, you know, for a Lucha singles match, which is just an admittedly even the highest possible bar of a Lucha singles match for me as a low bar. I mean, things cap out 
at about three and a half stars for me. And those are the matches that people are like, this is a match of the year contender. So I've got my issues with some of the Lucha stuff that unfortunately Yoshioka fell into, but I thought this was a very fun match. I mean, I'm glad it aired. I'm glad there's signs of life for Yoshioka and Skywalker, because I've asked around to people that are able to get in touch with them. Have you heard from Yoshioka and Skywalker? And the answer has been no, which is distressing. Distressing. I I will say they have that. It does not look like that. They've been working out as much, you know, like that was noticeable. Uh, I thought Yoshioka looked okay, but when Shun Skywalker came out, my first thought was, oh my god, Skywalker got big. I, and, you know, I don't blame him. It's I don't want him going to the gym in Mexico if they're open. But, yeah, Skywalker looked a, a little bit bigger, which uh, maybe he's, you know, gearing himself up for the upcoming Drangate Open the Hossgate tournament that I don't know about. But, yeah, he had, he had, you know, some weight to him that looked a little different than the way the dojo guys have been bulking up. It, 100 kilos live. Maybe that's yeah. what we can call it. Yeah. It, it, it's something that, like, the Yuki Yoshioka match there. Like, like that, one, that one took me a second, but I liked that. Just it took, it took a second to register, but that was very funny. It, it was a thinker. It was yes, a thinker. Yes, exactly. I, I think the interesting thing about, like, Yoshioka match was it was a double count out, which, you know, that happens all the time. But it just was something that, like, there was some grappling in it. It was a pretty, like, solid one. And when Yoshioka went in control, it seems that, like, he understood. Like, because sometimes, when, like, when you, like, insert these people on excursions and you put them in places where you don't think they're going to thrive, they flounder. And it just seems like an awkward fit. He got, like, okay, this is a singles match with this guy that I... I will feign ignorance about Puma Del Oro. Don't know much about him. But the two of them were like, okay, we're going to kind of do like a match that would work here. And it, they had a bunch of like fun topes. So it did get a little bit long towards the end. But then the uh, the the tope that led to the uh, double count out finish, I mean, Puma Del Oro pulled a Davy Richards and went right over the barrier into the crowd. And it was very believable. And it was a fun time. And then when Shun was in, like the, the Battle Royal basically got to a point where until it was like Shun and Dragonbane, which that's a notorious name for different reasons. Until those two got into it, and it was between those two. It was kind of a little bit of a mess, but they ended up having like a pretty solid like final final thing. Uh, the uh, it was pinfall and submission only for it, and you know Shun won with a really sick power bomb that was really brutal looking. So that was pretty cool, and it just ended up being like it was nice to check in on the former Mochizuki Dojo guys and seeing how they were doing in Mexico. I'm glad you mentioned the Davy Richards dive in the Yoshioka match. I skipped over that in my notes. An insane amount of effort to put into a no-fan show. I will never understand why people would do that in front of a packed crowd, let alone literally no one else, but more power to them. Um, and then, Mike, do we want to get into why Shun Skywalker pinning Dragon Bane was at least kind of noteworthy? Okay, yeah, we can. Uh, so, because so, I don't think we ever talked about that on the show. No, we didn't. Uh, so earlier this year, uh, Strong Hearts, of course, were in North America. They did some shows and for AEW and a bunch of indies. They also, because Shima has this relationship with IWRG, he's close with the people there, and they came in, and it was just him and T Hawk for this match versus Dragon Bane and his brother. And I'm blanking on his brother's name right now. I apologize. I'm going to look at this right there. And it broke down into a, like a total complete mess into a shoot. And it turned out that it was very close. Like people were talking about this match between Shima and T-Hawk there. And to the extent that I think it was like 
or, or marking with people. Okay, so it was Shimenti Hawk versus Dragon Cane, Dragon Bane, and I don't know what I blanked on his name. Uh, El Hio de Canis Lupus, and then there was a third team of Puma King and Septimo Dragon where Shima was taking it off. Shima wanted to go and have a good time and grapple a little bit, but uh, Dragon Bane and and Canis de Lupus just were not having it, and it broke down in a pretty ugly fashion. And there was like a backstage promo, which talking to people, they were like. That's the most aggression I've ever seen out of T Hawk in our lives. And it was a mess. And then Dragon Bane and Canis Lupus went over to Noah for their junior tour that they had there. And then lo and behold, Shun Skywalker was in I- IWRG soon after that and had a match with Dragon Bane where it did not seem like these two were not on the same page and were not offending each other versus how things were at the Strong Hearts guys. Do you think I covered that fairly as possible? I I think so. It was the uh, the January twenty sixth IWRG show, and like Mike said, it was Shima and T Hawk against Dragon Bane and Alhijo de Canis Lupus and Puma King and Septimo Dragon, who I'm actually a big fan of, uh, a, a luchador that I have a lot of stock in, and I've always wanted him to do a Dragon Gate tour. It's never happened, right. but for for many reasons, a fun match that you should go back and watch if you haven't seen it. <laughs> It is a match that happened, and it's a match that breaks down. <laughs> and if you're someone that likes seeing how things break down, definitely go out of your way to watch it. Uh, if you also want to see a, a lot of spit and a lot of hitting people really hard, and at a certain point, you could tell. That- In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase 
by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking, a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door I felt bad for Puma King and Septimo Dragon because they were just there wanting to have a good match. It just yeah, no, they were they were not affiliated in this. <laughs> they were whatsoever. innocent bystanders in the massacre that occurred. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I thought that Shun and Dragonbane had a fun stretch there at the end, and you know they they did like mic promos after that, like how you standardly do in Lucha. But there's another big thing that happened about the showcase. I don't know how up you are about what happened with IWG after this. <laughs> 
No, I'm unfamiliar with what's going on now. Okay, so Mexico, and for people who aren't familiar, Lucha Libre operates on commissions where, like, each state or each area usually will have, like, a commission that's, like, attached to the government in some aspects, but in a lot of ways it's kind of like wrestling a union and they, they license the wrestlers. It's actually not dissimilar to how some states still run in the United States. Uh, this show apparently was not supposed to happen, and that's, like, the big thing about, like, shows in Mexico is that, especially around uh, a district... Uh, the uh, state of Mexico, Mexico State, District Federal, uh, they've been shutting down basically everything. And, like, when AAA did their tournament, they had the Luchafia tournament. They filmed it. They taped it all before airing it because they were trying not to get the commission mad at them. Uh, this show was not supposed to happen, and they pulled the license for Arena Nakapon. And they're threatening to remove all the wrestlers that were involved in it. their wrestling license to do as well, which is a big thing in Mexico. Is the majority of wrestling especially like wrestling people keep tabs on other than like if you live in Laguna, you follow Laguna. If you live in Baja, you follow Baja, so forth and so on. Happens around Estado de Mexico. So Shun and uh, Yuki Yoshioka might be in some little bit of an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, I would hate to see their license get revoked and then, I don't know, they would have to fly back to Japan and join this very heated Drangate story that's occurring. I mean, that would just be a travesty if that happened. Well, I mean, it, I, I feel for these guys because... Uh, yes, I, I do too. It, 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 this is obviously like, especially with someone like Yuki, Yuki Yoshioka, it seemed like that it's like, hey, we want you to go travel in this with Shun. They want... There are big things I feel like would be in the plans for Shun, but like they're trying to get out of everyone's minds for a little bit like that's part of the reason why dragon gate does this this isn't an akira tozawa situation where it's like well, well let's see what happens if you go on an excursion the, these are guys that they have plans for and you know the getting an opportunity for them to do this to pick up styles and also scout out other people maybe to bring back to dragon gate has been unfairly and unjustly kind of cut because of covid and hopefully there's not gonna be a big problem with them hopefully this all works out and when things start opening up Yuki Yoshioka is able to do his movements as we anticipated, and Shun's able to get on more things, but it seems like that our poor Mochizuki Dojo kids are in a little bit of a pickle right now, as are everyone else on that show. Mike, we've got some more Dragon action coming up this weekend. Do you want me to read down these cards real quick? Yeah, let's go through it. All right, on June 20th, which is the Saturday, we have two matches. We have Naruki Doi and Dragon Kid against Eita and Diamante. And Dragon Daya versus Big R Shimizu in a singles match. And then on the 21st, Ben K and Kenta Kabune team up to take on Takashi Yoshida and Yo. And also the Open the Brave Gate Championship match, a feud that has been tearing apart Dragon Gate all year. Kaito Yoshida defends against Kaisuke Okuda. Mike, what jumps out to you from these four matches? Well, I mean, it's the Brave Gate match, right? Like, that's. Yes. The kind of sneaky way they presented is kind of like hiding this match in the middle of this when this has been the hottest feud in the company this year like this is something that you would think they would have been held holding off for whatever kind of kobe world was going to happen and they're doing it or they've done it in lapis hall which is nuts and then they're obviously pairing up uh naruki doi and ada as the dream program like it does seem like that they're going to focus back on that and then dia versus Shimizu, there's a little bit in like each of these matches that interests me, Case. Like each like I have to say this, they could just be throwing matches out there and having more of like the cork and openers, but no, these are all matches that either are building off of stuff that happened in the tournament, people who are trying to move up in Kabuna and Hyo, or 
the biggest feud or the current hottest feud in the company being paid off in front of no fans. Yes, I, I completely agree with you that there's something interesting in all of these matches. I think the tag match on the 20th, Doi and Dren Kid versus Ata and Diamante, unfortunately disproves any sort of uh, hopes I had for the multi-man Kobe World main event. I think on the 21st, you have Ashita versus Okuda here, which I think is notable as we move towards Kobe World. But before we get to that, I just have to say the Benkei Kitakabune team sounds so exciting, and they could have not booked them against less exciting opponents in Yoshida and Yo. What a disappointment for that team that looks young and full of energy. And, I, you know, nothing against their opponents, but guys, we could book a more exciting match than this. I mean, come on now. But I, I, I do want to say on Ashida versus Okuda and Kobe World as a whole, um, we should know, hopefully, if not next week, then the week after kind of what the plan is. I've been reaching out to everybody that I can talk to to try to get as much information as I can about the plan. This is uh, by by no means confirmed. I've heard conflicting reports, but there is an idea that maybe Kobe World is moved to August this year, and they and they run it in World Hall where World always is, but they do it a month later, which in return gives them a chance to do an August Cork and Hall show as one final build. And I think Ashida versus Okuda being on that 21st show, it it sticks out to me as being a little bit suspicious because had you asked me, you know, right now to fantasy book a Kobe world card, given the booking that we've had since everything shut down in March, Ashida versus Akuda would have been the second match I would have put on the show after Doi versus Ata. So I, I find it interesting that they're doing that here, maybe trying to blow off that feud and get a fresh angle going if they are indeed trying to sell tickets even at a limited capacity to Kobe World Hall. I don't know what the plan is, but I think we're going to find out soon enough and end the speculation that we've been doing for the past few weeks. But Ashita versus Sakuda being on these cards and not on a bigger show, uh, just very strange to me. I can't shake the thought that maybe World is moving back and they're instead going to book a new angle around Kaito Ashida. So with this happening here, and with the speculation that we are looking at, at an August uh, Kobe World at Kenan Hall, which would allow them to have a cork in and probably have a KBS Hall, a Kyoto KBS, a Osaka show maybe, a Hakata, and a show in front of a crowd in Kobe. Maybe if they want, if they're going to try, still do Lapis or Sambo Hall. That's not a whole lot of time to build another challenger here. Do you think that this maybe could be? an indecisive match they they then then use that as a further build and then finally have the big blow off at Kobe World or do you think Ishida's retaining here I think that's very possible but I will I will differ from that logic only because we have that Dragon Daya versus Big R Shimizu match I think maybe Ishida goes over clean on the 21st Daya beats Shimizu and we get some sort of Daya versus Ishida program as we head into World because I think under normal circumstances that that seemed likely. Well, I guess no, because Dai is the Triangle Gate champion. I keep on forgetting that because <laughs> the the last show we had in front of fans, you forgot about Ben. Yeah, was was the the Ben K Daya Triangle Gate team that ended up winning, and then they've had no matches as a trio since. We haven't really seen them with the belts, so I continue to forget 
that our Triangle Gate champions are Ben K, Strong Machine J, and Dragon Daya currently. So, you know what? I mean, they did the non-finish at King of Gate. Knowing Dragon Gate, you know, they they can extend things and they can really hammer the point home. So I take back the last 60 seconds of words that have been said. I think they do a non-finish here, and I think they they have a definitive conclusion at Kobe World. I mean, that's just what I'm guessing, just because that's such a short period of time. I mean, you could always have someone step up and do a challenger. I guess you could probably say maybe DK can make a challenge against Ishida. Like that's well, that's, that's the thing, because if you're going to book more shows between this upcoming weekend and then let's say they move world back to August and you even you even if you just get a corkin out of that with limited capacity. Right. All it takes is is one tag match of, you know, Ashida and Yoshida versus whoever else pick your guys on the roster. You know, Jason Lee and Maria and Jason Lee pins a sheet and says okay i want the match at world i mean it's it's a brave gate match it's not going to be selling tickets so there's there's not a ton of build-up necessary uh it's just a matter of who they decide to go with for that coveted spot at world yeah yeah and then daya versus shimizu shimizu i mean we have his losing streak slash the fact that Ada's not impressed with like his one penfall that he had during uh king of gate you could say Shimizu wins this and then goes into having a Triangle Gate challenge, and the same thing could happen if somehow Takashi Yoshida pins Benkei. I guess. Well, that's that, that's that's exactly what it is. I think we just I think we just figured this out. I think Shimizu is going to beat Daya, and then Yoshida and Yo are going to beat Benkei and Kabune. Yeah, because Kabune is there. And, and, yeah. and that's going to be our that's going to be our Triangle Gate match. Is we're going to get Yoshida, Yo, Shimizu against Ben K, Strong Machine, J Dragon, Daya. That is that is too suspect. Uh, to it, There's too many dots to be connected to not have any of them connect, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, especially since we're starting to believe that there is still going to be a ticketed Kobe world in the future. It's an interesting weekend of shows. Like, I'm glad that they're kind of sticking to, like, what some, some sort of schedule here, you know? So I, I think that's kind of a cool thing to see what's going to happen i'm pretty excited about these four shows so have i convinced you to think that it's going to be a no contest between ishida and okuda i think that's likely any other big thoughts about this before we start wrapping this up with one last thing no i think that's all i've got on the dragon gate side of things yeah uh just because of how we've been doing uh open the voice gate lately and especially with rewind and rewatch we normally i would talk about it on rewind watching this is more caters to dg usa but because of how we record things this would not be going out there for a couple of weeks, so we think it would be appropriate now to talk about this, especially given the rumors and the news and there was stuff that was brought out even today about the situation. It does seem that in some sort of fashion or way that we might be seeing the end of WWN, which of course was the family promotions put on by Gabe Sapolsky and Sal Hamawai, but more important for our interests, Dragon Gate USA. And it does seem that it might be that... It, the WWN library goes to uh, WWE, which is insane to think about. But I just wanted to kind of touch on that note before we go. I know, Case, you've talked before about trying to put something together or more about Evolve, but just like, just wanted to get your thoughts about this because we really haven't talked too much about this. Yeah, keep on, keep on looking at voiceofwrestling.com. I will eventually have some sort of Evolve retrospective piece 
that will be published. I'm, I'm working on it now, but it, admittedly, I, I don't know how long it's going to take. I just know that at some point it'll get done. Um, I, you know, logistically, the idea of the WWN library being owned by WWE is scary to me. And I understand the convenience of, well, what if the Dragon Gate USA shows pop up on the network? I mean, that'd, that'd be great for our podcast. I mean, more people were able to watch these Dragon Gate USA shows. It, it's just, uh, you know, a, a power thing that I, I don't like about, you know, formative Akira Tozawa matches and, and hyped Yamato and Shingo performances and Shima. I don't like the fact that the library could end, end up in the hands of people. I mean, WWE doesn't know what they're doing with it. They have a horrible digital marketing plan but WWE doesn't know what they have they know they have clips for Johnny Gargano documentaries and you know uh, Malcolm Bivens promos that they can use for you know more stuff whatever more power to them I mean that's not wrong that they want to use those assets in that way but losing uh, the Drangit USA archive into people that just you know know nothing about the promotion it admittedly scares me a little bit. And then as for evolve as the promotion, it's a promotion that at points I really, really loved. I mean, I watched a lot of evolve shows in 2014 and 2015 that quite honestly, not a lot of people have seen. I mean, I remember the online discourse for the evolve eye pay-per-views of a show like evolve 38, which I was just looking at for, for what I'm writing. I know a lot of people haven't seen evolve 38, but it's a really, really good show. I can assure you that it's a promotion that, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, I really, really loved it. And I was excited when after all of the bad publicity they've gotten, after all of the public meltdowns on on the Twitter of Gabe Sapolsky and on the public persona of Gabe Sapolsky, I was really happy that in 2016, the promotion finally found its stride and found its purpose in professional wrestling. And then from there, you know, they use that leverage. They get into this Flow Slam deal. And, you know, I, I didn't think Flow Slam was going to change the lives of professional wrestlers forever. But I was really excited at the prospect of Flow Slam and what it could mean. And, you know, this readily accessible archive that never ended up happening uh, on the Flow Slam side. I mean, they never had the full Drangate USA library up there. At least I do not think. And if they did, it was in the last few months of the site's existence but they did you know but it was they, something they did this one that they threw up after all the bullshit happened and when they still had the library and it yeah, was all yeah. up for free okay, it was right. one of those things <laughs> that's, that's right um and then you know after flow slam I and mean, i i stuck with the promotion up until you know walter showed up and wrestled adam or i'm i'm sorry adam cole showed up and wrestled walter and then you had the Velveteen Dream appearance. And then once it became the pipeline to NXT, I, I always kept an eye on the promotion. And no matter what the next move is, I think if Gabe Sapolsky is booking it, I think it's important to pay attention to it. Because, you know, Gabe has has made a lot of these stars of the past 20 years of professional wrestling. And I think if you know this podcast, you're aware of that. But I, you know, I, Gabe is someone who frustrates me. We talk about on the Drangate USA show. We make fun of them on the Drangate USA show. He's, he's just a, a, a frustrating human, and I don't know him personally, but his public persona is just agitating at times. But 
he's really important to the landscape of professional wrestling. And, and ultimately, I do think he gets too much shit, even if a lot of it is deserved. So when they went full WWE Evolve, I, I lost interest in it, but I couldn't completely ignore it because it was a gay product. And I at least knew the cards and knew what was happening. And the fact that they are going out with a whimper, the fact that it seems like it was COVID related, but also it was trending in this direction anyways. Uh, it's really unfortunate. I mean, the promotion lasted for 10 years, which not, you know, certainly not every promo promoter can say, but I, I hate to see them in like this, even if I wasn't in love with the direction they were going and I wasn't in love with the final product. It is a real shame that the promotion is ending on the note that it is. Yeah. And it's something that I'm someone that, I have had my own interactions with Gabe that were not pleasant several times. <laughs> and it's it does seem that he was an incredibly difficult person to work with. But I, I kind of came to a conclusion about my opinion of, of Gabe Sapolsky, which is always kind of molding. And especially as we do the series, when we were talking about Ricochet's ascent in Dragon Gate USA, that it was all worth it. All the bullshit was worth it because they made the wrestling mark to share a trade. They did all the investment, and they got back Ricochet. They had Swan. They had Uha Nation slash Apollo Crews. They were able to do that, and they were able to see and, and pretty much have a home for, in some ways, for Akira Tozawa during his extent. And and in that way, it is. Uh, to my knowledge, in case you may, you're absolutely might know more about this. Dragon Gate doesn't have any claims on this footage. Like, this is Gabe's footage. Like, DGUSA stuff, like, that's never been a huge thing to have that footage available for the native fans. It just was kind of its own thing. So I don't think that we're going to hear about like Dragon Gate, like trying to claim ownership of the archive in any sort of way. Am I right about that? No, I, I, to my knowledge, you're correct. And it's a shame because, you know, just, just for the sake of Dragon Gate live, the network, it would be so great if all the DJ USA shows oh, were up there. I mean, it, it would be awesome, but I, you know, uh, to my knowledge, and, and again, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, Dragon Gate uh, doesn't have any rights to the DGUSA footage, and unfortunately, they don't have any rights to the DGUK footage either. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just one of those things that I think that this was a long time coming in a lot of ways, and this was always kind of a thing that when you get in bed with snakes, don't be surprised when you wake up bitten. So, like, this was... Yeah, you know, I, I will say this, like, again, I followed the promotion consistently from the summer of 2013 onwards. And even then, well, not Naughty, I, you know, I, I, I don't entirely know. I just know that you could tell what Gabe's level of interest was in what he was doing. And there were times in 2014 and especially 2015 and especially 2016 where Gabe would put out cards that you could tell he was proud of. And he was excited about. And I think just, you know, the the constant bullshit of the industry and I think Flow Slam especially, it just seemed like that took a lot out of him of like this was his opportunity to really make some money booking Evolve, doing what he does, using lasers, doing that sort of thing. <laughs> and when that didn't work out again, like. The promotion for the next year, it's, you know, it's Walter and Keith Lee and Joey Janela, Matt Riddle still there. Like, there's exciting stuff Darby. going on. Darby. Zack Sabre Jr. still there. But I, I, it felt like he had detached himself from there. And it's it's been a slow descent 
into whatever this is. And I think it was bound to happen eventually. I just think that COVID ultimately expedited uh, the final destination of Evolve, which is unfortunate because, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't have the legacy of 2004, 2005, 2006 Ring of Honor. It's not prestigious in the way that IWA Mid-South footage has even become. Like, I don't know 10 years from now, the people that are my age 10 years from now that are, that are you know, on whatever networking tool there is and, and are discussing wrestling at an intelligent level, I don't know if they're picking up an Evolve 5 or an Evolve 20 anytime soon and, and digging through those shows. And I, I just, I don't know what to make of that legacy. The more and the more I think about Evolve, the more confusing it is because it really felt in, in the 10 year span, there's about seven distinct different eras of the promotion. And I don't know of any other company that in, in a decade span changed and flipped as much as they did. And it's just a very confusing history to look back on. Yeah. And I guess that's like one of the big things I'm taking away from it is that this was a thing that you can even kind of tell a little bit with DG USA as well, that he, his interest was ebbed and flowed. And I think at a certain point he, like the big thing was the grind for, Gabe Sapolsky, like, especially, like, when he's had his public spats, he always kind of goes back to, oh, the grinding like this. I mean, this is a guy who basically, fresh out of college, was doing stuff for ECW and then going to Ring of Honor, then barely taking any time off, then launching DGUSA and then later Evolve. It just seems like this is a guy that, at a certain point, and you can also tell it through his book, and he just seemed done. And maybe it is that him doing stuff at NXT gives him that creative passion that completely lost him at times and you know my big concern here and it has always been the fact that with all that stuff with flow slam and i've seen the numbers case like the numbers for like flow slam and all of that and no one really ever talked about like oh wrestler pay went up at all for that and that is something that at least me and not to get super political there that i think that's a huge injustice but at the same time understanding that this was like one of the things we're, we've been learning about in DGUSA, and, and we and I make sure to keep track of it throughout uh, the Raymond Watch process is case he basically was running promotions that were struggling to even break even for close to ten years. So this well, was a, before, I mean twenty years because hey, it's not like Ring of Honor, right? He was ever cashing in. I mean it was twenty years of keeping his head above water and treading lightly. You know it's. It's not an it's not an easy task. That is ultimately why I think Gabe takes too much shit. Is is that job? I mean, it's 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 one that intrigues me. It's one that you know, oh sure, throw my name in a hat. I'd love to to book a wrestling company. But the intensity and the passion that Gabe has for it is not an enviable position. And so, like, I, you know, in terms of like pay and stuff, you know, it. If he gets a big, you know, surplus of cash from Flow Slam, but he doesn't distribute it to the wrestlers, that's bullshit. There's also a part of me that just, you know, take away the Flow Slam money from the equation. If I was a wrestler, I would be taking less money to work for Gabe because I know what that means for my career. Um, and, and that is something that, you know, Gabe uh, probably poorly balanced. He probably took advantage of too many guys, didn't pay them enough, but. Again, he he was this this 
at times almost underappreciated power player in the wrestling industry, but he really had a lot of control and a lot of say over what was going on and evolve. You know, he, again, you know, evolve lasted longer than his time in ring of honor did. And it's just very strange to look back at this promotion and to see the ebbs and flows, the names that came through some of the names that stuck, some of the big names that just didn't work out. I, I was looking at a card that had Dominic, Dominic Dijak <laughs> on the undercard of an evolve show, uh, which I, I didn't remember. Then when oh, yeah. I went to my only Evolve show in, in, 27, in 2017, I saw a Dijak there. Uh, Dijak versus Keith Lee almost wiped out friend of the show Joey Bay on a big dive. Uh, that was that was fun. That was a fun show. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think that's all I've got on Evolve. I didn't expect to talk about it this much, but <laughs> it's it's just a strange promotion that I I hope uh, ten years from now is still being discussed as as something that mattered in the professional wrestling industry to some extent. Yeah, and I think like the one big takeaway from all of this and basically from 2002 to 2010 was, and this is kind of like like the wrestler pay thing, that's something that I just will hold against. Like that's unconscionable to me. But for certain things and for certain eras, it wasn't necessarily like I don't, believe that he was this god booker and i think i feel like we're experiencing that through a dgusa rewatch that he, he has certain flaws that he never really fit, figured out post ring of honor and i think carried through the his remainder of his time in evolve especially and how to end a push and how to do certain things but he understood the landscape in a certain way and it got to a point that i think that i think that that orlando mania week and that flow slam weekend when you had both uh, the WWN uh, experience, whatever he calls it, and then you had the first Joey Janela spring break really was the change because it did very much see that he had his way of doing things. He had his things with especially the WWE people. But then you had this other opportunity that kind of supplanted that. And we've seen kind of how Brett Lauderdale and Joey Janela were able to launch something out of that. And I find that very interesting that that event happened, especially since that was something that happened under the auspices of uh flow slam so i think I, I will i will say this to i will say this to round out the show i am someone that constantly complains about old people in professional wrestling because you have to remember i was born in 1999 i was born in the height of the attitude era and i am now 21 years old i can vote i can drink i can kind of do whatever i want um most 21 year olds do not know what the Attitude Era was. Stone Cold Steve Austin is not really a star to people my age. The Rock is, but most people my age don't know that The Rock was a wrestler. This has a point, I promise. Um, so I'm constantly complaining about the older voices in wrestling, the refusal to change the fact that some combination of McMahon, Jarrett, Bischoff, Russo, Cornette have had their say in pro wrestling for really 40 years now. But your point about Lauderdale... And Joey Janela and Joey Janela spring break is exactly right. Gabe Sapolsky has been booking professional wrestling for 20 years. I like Gabe. I think he is a flawed booker, but ultimately a good booker. But we have seen what he can do. We know Gabe's ideas. And I think that is a crucial part of the evolved journey is you know, from from Ring of Honor's inception in 2002 through that WrestleMania weekend 2017, we saw Gabe Sapolsky's vision for independent wrestling. And I think that infiltrated throughout the entire indie system. And Gabe's thought process ultimately ruled the land. 
And then we saw a newer, fresher, more innovative mind take control. And Gabe was never able to adapt and recover from that. Yeah, I think that's a good kind of way to look at that, especially going towards the future. And hey, if, if somehow things change and Dragon Gate is able to do things more in the United States, call up Brett Lauderdale. I think that'd be pretty interesting. <laughs> yes, I would like to see that. <laughs> I'm just going to throw a match out here that I think would be absolutely insane. Uh, Shane Mercer versus Yuki Yoshioka. That is a match I'd be really interested in seeing if that could happen. That is a match, I will say that. <laughs> that that it is, but case I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back with you next week talking about, of course, those four big four big matches that they're having in Kobe Lapis Hall, and as we have a build to a Kobe World, when it is and where it is, we don't know, but we are now fully on the road to Kobe World. Case anything you wanted to hit on and plug before we get out of here? No, nah, you know where to find me. Have a good one. Yep, we'll catch you next time and open the voice gate. Take care.